You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV. And crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com, slash, Film Daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, June 22nd, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to discuss, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about Obi-Wan Kenobi, Episode 6. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Slash Film Writer and Star Wars expert Brian Young. How do you do? Guys, I I know this is going to be the last time we're we're together talking about Star Wars for a while. So I, I, you know, before we begin, I just wanted to say uh, it's been a pleasure. I always uh, it's one of the highlights of my week to to be able to join you guys virtually and um, just nerd out and geek out about uh, this you know this thing that we love. We don't always have to wait for a new release to talk about Star Wars, but that's a different story. <laughs> yeah, may- maybe if some like news pops up or whatever, we'll get you on Brian, and we'll we'll have the uh, the trio, the um, 
I was going to try to think of like some kind of uh, Star Wars reference, but I'm not quick enough of the, oh no, the slash the film. The trio of pit droids. Yes. Uh, get together. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, okay. Before we get to this episode, let's uh, start with feedback. You know, this is where we answer your questions and we got a couple things last week, some of which are not worth reading because they are answered by this week's episode. But I want to read uh, a few of these here, starting with uh, last week, I mentioned this cool looking top droid that was part of the path. And Chad from New Orleans writes in that new cone shaped droid from Kenobi episode five appears to be the winner of the build my droid contest that ran in 2019 fans were able to submit their droid designs and the winner would be used in a future project. And uh, yeah, I I think that's really cool that uh, someone got their droid to be in a star Wars TV show. So that's, that's really cool. And uh, I mean, it was cool enough that both Brad and I, noticed it so i'm I'm not sure i'm still not sure the function of the cone droid i'd love to like you know have pablo you know do like one of those uh pages and one of those um one of those like an incredible cross sections book or something yeah explaining to me like what the purpose is (laughs) like what what kind of purpose sometimes in star wars the purpose is that looks cool (laughs) that's good enough good enough okay uh greg from new orleans writes in During the climax of episode five, when Riva is crawling on the ground and finds the communicator, she first finds her lightsaber. During the fight, Vader broke her lightsaber in half, but now it appears to be whole again. Does anybody else notice this mistake or am I missing something? And uh, to be honest, Greg, I I almost brought this up last week. I had it in my notes, but I I didn't mention it. So I wanted to hear what you guys think. Like, Like, is this a continuity error or is there any a possible explanation? Did I miss something? Did me and Greg miss something? Um, you know, I honestly, it slipped right by me and I'm a big believer in, in Walter Murch's sort of hierarchy of editing. Um, <laughs> no, it's serious. Like, like the emotion was right for me. So I didn't notice if there was a mistake. Yeah. Um, so, and, and that's really like, what a good editor should do is pick the emotion over the continuity. And George Lucas famously said, you know, continuity's for wimps. Um, but I didn't, I hadn't <laughs> noticed. I hadn't noticed. Um, yeah. I, I'm wondering if there is an explanation for that or, or not, but uh, if you know, right into us at Peter at social.com, because I'm curious to hear. Uh, okay, Patrick D wrote in our last uh, entry into the feedback section. Uh, he just finished watching last week's episode, and his question is about Vader and fi- him finding out about Luke and Leia. I haven't read any of the Dr. Ephra comics yet, but I did recently listen to the audiobook and thought it was fantastic. In the story, she meets Vader for the first time after the destruction of the first Death Star, and Vader uses her to find him with different miss uh, or to help him with different missions and investigations. The thing Vader becomes fixated on is he asks her to help with finding more information on Luke Skywalker. So Vader is well aware that that is Luke Skywalker, that is his son. 
uh, I guess Patrick D wants to know how did Vader learn about his offspring? Because I, I'm not even sure I know the answer to this, Brian. So, I'm sure you have an answer. I know there was a, uh, some comic books that were set yeah. in a New Hope if, and Empire. If you read the um, the the when Marvel re- relaunched Star Wars and Darth Vader comics, the first twelve issues or so of both of those comics really culminated in a moment that you could read from both directions. I think it was more effective in Karen Gillan's Vader comic, though, where Vader discovers uh, Boba Fett actually is the one who brings him the news that the name of the Rebel pilot who destroyed the Death Star was named Skywalker, and. Instantly, Vader sort of has this overwhelming feeling that that actually means it's his son. But very shortly after that, uh, after he's been involved with Dr. Afra a little bit, uh, using her as an agent of his, he actually sends her to Naboo to find out more about Padme, not just to investigate about Luke, but to actually interrogate the mortician who prepared Padme's body hmm. to define or to, to find out like. Um, was she really pregnant? Had the had the child been delivered? Um, and so Vader pieces it together, sort of following these clues that Dr. Afra helps him with. Uh, he doesn't find out about Leia until Return of the Jedi. That's something that we see on screen. Okay, well, that answers that. Interesting. So it, it, it's there in the comics if mm-hmm. you want to go read it. Uh, do you happen to know what issues those are? Uh, so I think the moment where he actually finds it is issue 12 of Jason Aaron's Star Wars and issue 12 of Karen Gillan's um, Darth Vader, because there's two Darth Vader volumes now and two Star Wars volumes because they started over. So volume one. Why do they do that to us? I don't understand. It makes it uh, hard to like point people to things. Yeah. Volume one of Star Wars, the new Marvel Star Wars takes place between a new hope and empire volume two takes place between empire and jedi with darth vader volume one takes place between a new hope and empire volume two of vader happens in the immediate aftermath of order 66 and covers all the information about the formation of the inquisitorius which is all really cool stuff and if you've ever had an interest in finding out why uh the jedi librarian jocasta new is a badass those comics are your answer (laughs) Okay, let's get into the uh, our brief thoughts on this episode. Brad, I haven't heard much from you yet, so I'm going to let you start things out. What did you think of episode six? I enjoyed it. I thought that it was a, a solid conclusion to the series. Uh, I think it, it made good on the promise established in the first episode of uh, you know getting us to a point where we see uh, this final confrontation between Vader and Obi-Wan before they meet again in A New Hope. Uh, really delivered on, I guess, you know, cementing uh, a certain line that, you know, maybe was the reason that people had a problem with this series existing in the first place. But I think that this finale and really the series as a whole, uh, even if it's not like something that's on par with the the greatness of uh, the Star Wars movies that we love, is that it definitely justified in its existence in, uh, I think strengthening a lot of the pieces of Star Wars canon that people thought that it might uh, actually be detrimental to. But I think that this is really a key part of Obi-Wan and uh, Vader's history that f- fills in gaps that maybe didn't need to be filled in, but I think adds some some meat and some weight to the relationship that we never saw 
uh, much of outside of uh, animation anyway um, between Revenge of the Sith and, and A New Hope. So uh, yeah, I, I really liked it. Um, I hope that this is it for Obi Wan. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like that uh, we'll get to the ending when we when we get there. And we'll talk more about that. But I I, I hope that this really is uh, a one and done at least when it comes to Obi Wan's involvement in any future Star Wars adventures. Brian, what did you think of Episode Six? I'm gonna be honest, like. I think I had tears in my eyes the whole episode and (laughs) none of the previous episodes have really done that episode five had its moments. Um, But this episode, it was just sort of like it pulled all the stops on the gravitas of what Obi-Wan was doing and Obi-Wan being able to make the sacrifice here and that character change. I mean, the character of Obi-Wan that we saw going into this series is absolutely not the Obi-Wan that we saw leaving. And I think like, I think you're right, Brad, in that, in that maybe we didn't need an answer to this question. And we could have assumed logically that Obi-Wan overcame his trauma over what happened and how things went down. And, you know, went on to become a great Jedi master to mentor Luke and sacrifice himself again. But I really, really loved the exploration of his trauma and the weight of his failure and how this actually grants him some manner of absolution and sort of plants the seed in his head from Vader himself about the lies he'll tell Luke. Uh, I just, I really enjoyed it across the board. And that ending, that ending uh, with, with Qui-Gon really hit me hit me where i lived i um you know this episode has some really powerful moments i i cried at i think two different points throughout it uh the the as uh kathleen kennedy put it the rematch of the century is that what she said something like that uh was incredible i i i think um anybody that was disappointed in any of the lightsaber duels up until this episode of the series i i think I have to come away satisfied after that. Uh, there's just like so much cool, and I want to use this word like negatively, fan service, like, you know, appearances from unexpected characters and, you know, returns of John Williams classical themes. And like, it's hard to be a Star Wars fan and and not enjoy this episode. And I, I fully did enjoy it. I hate to say this, guys, but somehow I, I kind of, feel I'm left feeling empty about this whole series as a whole. And I'm not sure completely why, like to me, like it almost feels like, you know, those, uh, the Marvel comic books we were just talking about, Brian are, are fun, but they're oftentimes like no stakes comic book mini series that don't really, you know, Oh no, they, they they don't leave a mark on canon in any substantial way, and I'm not saying that you have to leave a mark to be, uh, think- whatever. But it, it, it to me, if this feels like Diet Coke, in that it feels good when I'm drinking it, I'm glad I drank it, but at the end of the day, it's like empty calories, and it it leaves me like wanting more. I think, I mean, I think wanting more is a a sign of something good, right? Like, "Eh, I want more of that. Um, But I think it did sort of leave a mark in that we're never going to watch A New Hope the same way again. Yeah. We're never going to watch Revenge of the Sith the same way again. And when there inevitably is future storytelling with Reva, 
this is going to be a really important watershed moment in the branches of canon that it creates, I think. Yeah, I mean, you make some good points, Brian. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to be the big downer here. I know you guys seem to really have loved uh, this episode in particular. Uh, and, I, you know, while we go through it, I'm going to highlight some of the stuff I, I really liked. And I did like this episode and I did like the series. It's not like I'm coming away from this and I'm like, burn Star Wars down. This is horrible. You know, I'm not like the fandom menace well, or anything like that. I was going to say your YouTube channel is a little bit different than that in tone. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, but I, it's like the first time I've come away from a star Wars thing where I feel like, not like I want to go back immediately and watch it again. So this is kind of how I felt after book of Boba Fett, to be honest. Um, and I think we talked about that when book of Boba Fett was airing where it was just like, I don't know, there was something missing for me. And I wonder if that missing thing for me was like, I was never invested in Boba Fett as like the coolest, baddest ass character ever. Yeah. But I've always been invested in that Obi-Wan Anakin dichotomy. Anakin was always my favorite character, even when it was just the, the, the classic trilogy, like the idea that Anakin was there and that you could take his mask off. And there was Luke's like father underneath there. Um, like, I mean, to I named be clear, my kid. you even named your kid. Yeah, I named my kid Anakin. I really like Anakin and his journey has always been my favorite story yeah. in Star Wars. And so this was just giving me it was just like they'd grown me an entire field of catnip to frolic in. Were I a cat? Or some sort. <laughs> it, I don't know. I, it, it might also be that the th- whole thing felt like more TV than even like the other Star Wars TV stuff. Like it felt like every episode was just like at like one small location and it didn't feel like they had a big budget for like this big story. See, for me, like I think part of that was the scale at which Obi-Wan needed to be operating to be hidden as best he could, right? Like Obi-Wan's not going to just march into Coruscant and kick the doors down on the Jedi Temple and make a run for Palpatine. You know what I mean? Like he's in these situations that are like the quiet back alleys that he's trying to get through. You know what I mean? Like it, it felt like the scale of the stakes of Obi-Wan's stealth and need to stay hidden matched that production design, at least in my head. That could be me justifying things, and I'm really good at justifying things. You are so. incredible at justifying things. And and since you brought up Book of Boba Fett, I do want to mention that this definitely sticks the landing a lot better than Book of Boba Fett. I feel like that last episode of Book of Boba Fett, I was like really disappointed in. This I'm I, this is probably my favorite episode of the series. But I still don't, I don't know. I'm not sure if it earned itself a series. I almost wish this was like a movie, but. I, I You'll get no argument from me out of that. Like I would watch this in the movie theater nine ways from Sunday, even if I had, I mean, even if it was a four and a half hour movie, I'd be cool with that. I want to see this in a movie theater. Brad, did you have any last thoughts before we get into the breakdown? Uh, No, I think I've said my piece and I'll, I'll talk as we go through the episode. Okay, I thought uh, it'd probably be best to break this down into two different... There's two different stories going on in this episode. So let's start at the the story on Tatooine. We'll separate that from uh, the more interesting stuff, I think, later on. Okay, um, so the opening scene takes us to Tatooine where there are dozens of humans, one droid, and a couple Jawas. And a Steel Saunders, apparently. And a Steel Saunders. But Brian... Could they not have a 
like couldn't they paid to like have a couple aliens? I, I know it's expensive. I know they don't they can't afford them in Galaxy's Edge, but like couldn't they like put a mask or two on a couple of these extras? I thought there was. I feel, and maybe that was on the refugee ship, but I feel yeah, like I was noticed on the like refugee a Nick ship. and a couple of other people. Um, I think I think they're generally around. I don't know. I I, I saw enough for for it not to to you know ping against me. I guess. Yeah. Um, okay, so Riva shows up. She's the force cut in line and inquire about a farmer named Owen, and. Um, I think a lot of my issues, and I don't want to make this like this is Peter's list of issues, but uh, I think a lot of them can go to uh, the writing. Like, I'm not sure. And maybe, maybe Brian, you're, you're good at justifying things and explaining things. I'm not sure I understand why Reva, like she, she's there on Tatooine. She got that communicator that said like the, the kids of going to Tatooine, Owen, she knows Owen, she knows Tatooine, so she goes there. But, like, she's there to kill Luke, she says later, for for justice. Yeah. How the heck does she possibly connect the dots that Luke is related to Vader? I feel like there's not Luke, enough information here. I think she pieces together that Luke is somehow important to Vader and the discovery of Luke would be meaningful to him. And that if she can kill a kid in return as vengeance for the kids that he killed, that would be meaningful. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Okay, fair enough. Fair, fair enough. You, you win this one, Brian. Uh, okay, <laughs> Owen and Luke uh, get parts at a speed uh, of for a speeder, and uh, the water farmer finds Owen and tells him that the Inquisitor is, you know, looking for him, and. Uh, Owen rushes home and we get Baru for the first time in the series who is unwilling to go on the run and pulls out a shotgun blaster hidden in the wall. And uh, how cool is it to see her and uh, this location faithfully reconstructed the show? I think it's super cool. I think this moment is really cool too, especially with what EK Johnston was building up with Baru in the Padme books. Um, I'm not sure if either of you read them, but they're really terrific. And one of the elements that that Kate had started introducing into Star Wars is that Baru wasn't just this like idle aunt, you know, defined by her relationship to a moisture farmer named Lars. She was actually working as part of a resistance on Tatooine to rescue slaves and have their or enslaved folks and have their um trackers their explosive trackers removed and that was a pretty key subplot in those padme books and baru was very much a part of that and so being able to see her in the iconic location rooting around and pulling out weapons and it, it feels very much in how they've sort of transformed her character from from really just like a piece of set dressing in a new hope to something important but i really love joel edgerton's like response to that where it's like it's this resigned sort of sigh like of course she has guns hidden of course <laughs> yeah i like that too um so owen and brew hide young luke in the garage we're jumping around a bit here but they, they hide young luke in the garage and tell him to run if anybody comes there's like a uh what's the explanation they give there's a tuscan raider on the loose or something yeah the tuscans are on the fringe taking people yeah and uh 
he says, I'm not afraid, which is a callback to the line that he says to Yoda in Empire Strikes Back, which I thought yeah. was kind of nice. Um, so anyways, uh, Reva shows up and Brew and Owen uh, try to take her out with blasters, but that's stupid. She's an Inquisitor. You're not going to do that. Uh, she's able to deflect them all with her saber. And uh, although Owen is able to like defend against her on his own uh, quite a bit, which I, I'm kind of surprised that he is that tough. But um, Luke makes a run for it. He, he runs through the desert and uh, Riva follows. And I do want to say I, I like how Luke is told the sto story about the Tusken Raider. So he never actually sees the lightsaber because the first time he sees the lightsaber is in A New Hope when Obi-Wan shows him it. So he never sees her ignite the lightsaber. And by the time he like she causes him to tumble down that slope and he's unconscious, he never sees her. So for all he knows, it was a Tusken Raider that, you know, got in and he ran. Yeah, it was really clever how they pulled that. They actually care about canon, <laughs> uh, you know, which is something that I've heard that isn't the case for the longest time. Yeah, yeah. It, at the same time, Brian, as much as I, I like how clever this is, it does remind me what they do in the comics all the time where, like, Luke Skywalker had an altercation with Boba Fett, but there was a sandstorm, so he couldn't see neither of them could see each other or, you know, whatever. So that's the explanation of why my, <laughs> my favorite, my favorite thing that they've done in that is the fact that if you notice in clone wars, Obi-Wan and Anakin or Anakin never meets general grievous. And so they spent seven seasons of that show con contriving reasons why Anakin and grievous would never get in the same room because there's that one line in revenge of the Sith that implies that that's their first meeting. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so so uh, okay, let's jump over to the other storyline for a bit here. Uh, Vader's Star Destroyer has caught up with the past ship, and they don't have enough time to fix the hyperdrive to escape. So Obi Wan offers to sacrifice himself and lure Vader away. Uh, they were going to a planet Tessin. That was where they were helping. I, it didn't seem, um, even when I look something up and, uh, don't think of anything and don't find anything doesn't mean it, it might not be a thing. The closest thing that Tessin sort of triggered in my head, as far as a word that's been in star Wars before was Tessek, which is the Corin from Jabba's palace. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I, I also wasn't able to find anything. But doesn't mean that it isn't in like some role playing game somewhere. Yeah, I think Tessin is a planet in the Robo system, right? <laughs> little little Robo Tessin uh, humor for uh, for everyone out there who enjoys good cough syrup. Uh, that's why we have you on this podcast. Yep, Brad, no other reason. For, it's, it's for, for winners like that. It's the cough syrup jokes. The cough syrup jokes. <laughs> it's definitely not my Star Wars expertise in the least. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so uh, Obi-Wan gives this big uh, speech that he's going to leave, and Leia's not happy, and uh, he has this moment with Haja where he asks Haja to make sure that Leia gets home. He's entrusting Leia with this con man, and I think this moment, to me, should have been more impactful. Like, Ben has come 
to trust this liar, this con artist with the second most important thing in the galaxy. Uh, but I don't feel like it's earned. It's like, and there's a great idea here. I feel like coming off the events of the prequels where his, you know, his Padawan, his best friend turned on him. It makes sense that Obi-Wan would have like these trust issues. And it, it feels like the the screenwriters, there was an idea here that like over the course of this, Obi-Wan would learn to trust this guy named Haja, who is like basically the embodiment of someone who sh- he shouldn't trust. Um, you know, he's conning uh, people in need for money and pretending to be a, 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 a Jedi. But I don't know. I, I, what do you guys think? Do you, do you think this is earned? Like, was this whole arc well explored? I think Obi-Wan's trust of Haja has less to do with Haja and more to do with Obi-Wan's arc and that he had lost his hope and his um, just he'd lost his hope in humanity generally or like the galaxy in general. And as he earned that back, he was able to do that, have that trust, right? Like when he comes in the first time on Dayu, like he's coming in hot and he's coming in angry and he's coming in pointing a blaster at somebody. (laughs) And like, what are the three things that are least Obi-Wan like, like angry, uh, vengeful and with a blaster, right? And now here he is like, okay, I'm finally in tune with my Jedi self. I'm in tune with the force and I can sense this from you. And you've been a good person through all of this. And I'm going to make this sacrifice. I'm entrusting this to you. It felt more about Obi-Wan's arc rather than anything to do with Haja. Um, he was really just a prop there for that, in in my view. Sure, sure. Okay. Um, Brad, did it work for you? Uh, I'd say it's somewhere in the middle. I feel like, uh, Kumail Nanjiani's character was meant to be a little bit more, um, ha- have more weight to him, I guess. And I, I didn't dislike his character, but I just felt like I wish that there was more for him to do or that like there was the moments had a little bit more significance, you know, like I, I do, I think Brian's right that it feeds more into Obi-Wan's arc than anything, but like it's a little bit frustrating when you have so many characters whose sole purpose seems to be to help Obi-Wan evolve. And sure, the show is called Obi-Wan Kenobi, but characters, <laughs> uh, you know, can, around him can be three dimensional and also have their own, you know, story arcs as well. And I, yeah, I, I wish this landed a little more firmly, I think. I mean, they, they do try to have that too, but I don't think they do that well either. Like there's the character of Roken who at first when Obi-Wan comes uh, to the path he's like get him out of here we don't need the you know the to attract attention with someone like that big and then by the end he's like you know asking him for his help and wanting to and so I feel like there's that but I, I feel like these are ideas I feel like Brian if we were in a writer's room these are ideas that on the surface sound like great ideas I don't feel like they're quite well executed in the the show but um okay anyway so the next thing that happens is ben gives to leia tala's blaster holster because he, he's not going to give her a blaster he's not going to give a little girl a blaster so what, what what's the next best responsible thing to give a little girl a, a gun holster and they have a uh this this, this moment i don't have the guns that would necessitate I, 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 occupying a gun rack 
And I, I'm just joking here. I, I love this whole moment. This is like such a sweet goodbye. And uh, I do think this is a moment that is well-earned. Like the relationship between uh, Leia and Ben uh, is so great. I think it, actually the last couple episodes kind of hurt from, you know, putting Leia in like, you know, a box trying to fix something, you know, like not having them kind of together as much. And uh, I I think the performance here from this young actress is like exceptional. But the other thing I wanted to say, because I know I've been very uh, kind of critical and negative so far, I one of the things I do like about this series is it isn't trying to explain things that we have wondered about. Like it's not um, – it explains things that we never thought about or, or cared about, or I think we didn't. Maybe Brian did. Uh, so I care. But as opposed to Solo, a Star Wars story, you know, how did he meet Chewbacca? How, how did he fly the Kessel Run? You know, it's like all these like questions that people have had uh, providing answers. But in Obi-Wan, it's like, you know, why did Leia maybe get inspired to become a leader outside of politics? You know, uh why did her name she named her son Ben? Uh, where did she get the blaster holster that she's using in Return of the Jedi? Like, I feel like it's like these things that like don't feel like they're additive because it feels like a thing like, oh, that's a cool like thing that I didn't know I wanted. If that makes sense. Um, but what what do you guys think of uh, the uh, Ben giving? Paula's blaster holder holster to Leia. I mean, it to me it felt like there were there were bigger things going on in the episode. It was a nice touching moment, but it didn't like it didn't like if I were like picking my five <laughs> favorite moments from the episode, I don't think this would necessarily rate. You don't think that could buy? No, like, it was. The goodbye was, but like it's overshadowed completely by the goodbye later on Alderaan. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, okay, so uh, I just feel like the the acting from uh, I forget her name, the young actress who plays Vivian Lyra Blair. Yeah, uh, I I just felt like it was like really great in that one moment. Um, okay, so anyways, Obi Wan talks to his master Qui Gon, saying that ends today. Either Vader dies or I do. Um, which by you know. It's also been a problem I've had with the series that like there being no stakes. We know neither of them are going to die. But um, okay, so the Grand Inquisitor tries to talk to Va- talk Vader out of pursuing Kenobi, arguing that stopping the path would be more impactful than one lone Jedi. But Vader isn't listening to him. Um, so Vader goes off on his own in his own. Uh, is that a Lambda class shuttle? Yeah, it looks very much the same as the one from Return of the Jedi as well, which putting this stuff together with Return of the Jedi and and uh well, and the the Empire Strikes Back special edition as well. Um you know, as we talked about the context of each episode sort of mirroring them, there's tons of Return of the Jedi in this and that Lambda shuttle uh is definitely one of those extra flourishes that ties it to Return of the Jedi more than the other movies. Yeah, and um, I do wonder, Brian, why couldn't he have sent the Star Destroyer after the path and took the Imperial shuttle after Obi Wan? But 
whatever. It's fine. It's it's it's, it's okay. I'm not. I'm not. It doesn't bother me that much. Um, uh, so Ben lands his craft on a planet uh, with these black, like monolithic spires. Or someone someone asked me if I thought it was if it was Batu. I was wondering the, the same thing when they first it. landed. I was like, and I didn't get that impression necessarily, but I thought that was an interesting take and observation on it. They don't name this planet, though. No, they don't. They don't. So it will never be named until someone uh, forces it to be named. <laughs> until there's a compelling reason to name it. <laughs> that kind of sucks because I feel like this is a monumental place. It's the location of, you know, we we think the, you know, penultimate lightsaber battle between Vader and Obi-Wan. And we, we don't even know where it is. Or what it is. But um, I will say that the audio description does say that it's a barren moon. And in the opening shots when uh, Vader's getting off his shuttle, you do see the orbital planet in the background. And the audio description actually points out the orbital planet in the background. So it is a moon. So it isn't Batu. So there we go. Um, okay. Uh, ben discovers that Leia left Lolo with him so he wouldn't be afraid. And um, it's kind of a reverse of, of her stealing Lolo out of her mom's. Um, she she kind of plants it on him. That that moment is actually, I think that moment impacted me more than the goodbye was him realizing she slipped it to him. Like she's having this tearful goodbye, but she's already planning for him in a way. Yeah. And it sort of takes that moment and goes like, oh, Leia, what a scamp. Okay, so Vader arrives on planet and Obi-Wan and Vader have this epic lightsaber rematch. This whole series was promised to have. I'm not sure if there's a way to break this down. So I thought, uh, why don't we just talk about, uh, except for the end of this where where Vader's mask uh, gets cut off. Why don't we, uh, Brad, do you have any, any thoughts about this whole lightsaber duel? a whole uh i mean it's a, a great lightsaber duel uh i think we get some some interesting camera angles that we haven't seen in other lightsaber duels before i thought the overhead shots were pretty cool yeah. um just yeah just a, a good it wasn't quite you know uh as intense as the one between obi-wan and anakin and Revenge of the sith but that makes sense because vader isn't necessarily moving in the same way that anakin could because you know he's more machine now and but but I I I think that it's much more, uh, I guess calculated and like the way you know Vader moves is still, uh, very menacing even if he's not as fast as uh, as he was. But yeah, just a, a great lightsaber battle between them. I I love the cinematography of all the lightsaber stuff in the series. I'm not sure why, but like the contrasting blue and red lightsabers that light the scene, like it almost feels like they are they almost always use them in a scene where there isn't much other ambient lighting. So it's like all the, the ambient light comes from those two colors. And, um, and I like, uh, yeah, what you said, the, like they had these dynamic shots where they're like pulling back to these ultra wide shots or even that cool shot from like the bird eye view looking down. And um, it, it's just cool to see, like you know them using the force to throw the boulders at each other and there's that badass moment where vader opens up the ground sending obi-wan into the gravel pit uh 
Brian, what what are your thoughts on this whole duel? Uh, I really loved the back and forth of it. I really loved seeing them both at at sort of their maximum potential here at this stage in their lives. I really, really loved the echoes to The Last Jedi, actually, about how things come down for Jedi to lifting rocks. (laughs) Um, It's the first lesson they learn, and it's the uh, most important lesson, apparently. Um, It's something like that shot of of Obi-Wan finally finding hope in the galaxy, like really Obi-Wan thinking of Luke and Leia caught in that pit and drawing on them and their strength to survive and keep fighting. I mean, symbolically means a lot the same way as, as you know, we're all fighting for the next generation to have a better life than we are. And Obi-Wan is taking that sort of literally, and that's where he is able to find his peace and his strength. And, I thought that was really, really tremendous to see him do that. And then the shot of him unleashing all of that power on Vader and smashing him with all of those boulders with his hands sort of outstretched and finally communing with the force in a way it doesn't seem as though he has in a long time. It was very, very satisfying. I wish they would have talked more. I think my favorite lightsaber duel in Star Wars is still Return of the Jedi because there was so much more like dramatic stakes and like story going on with it. And so I guess that's always sort of the standard that I hold lightsaber duels up to, but it was, it was up there. It was really good. And, and, and I, I thought it was terrific. Brad, I got to ask you, what, what is your favorite lightsaber duel in all of Star Wars? Oh, that is a good question. Um, I would say that it's, Probably a toss-up between Duel of the Fates and Phantom Menace or the uh, throne room battle in The Last Jedi. Yeah, it's hard to top Duel of the Fates because that music is just so great. And it's just like Jedi at their, you know, here you have Darth Vader and he's obviously uh, restrained because of what his body has become. But it's like Jedi at their like top of their careers. Many years that was my top. I think my top now is Force Awakens, the end of Force Awakens, because it's, I think, maybe the only time in a lightsaber battle that I was, like, so emotionally involved of, like, like it, there's twists and turns in a story. Like, maybe not in uh, what you were saying, Brian, of, like, uh, a lot of talking, but there's, like there's twists and turns of not just like he has control. She has control. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not just a push pull. Like there's yeah. that twist of the lightsaber going into their hand, but there's also that like moment. That's just like, I feel like there wasn't a star Wars movie until then. Maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. That like took like in the middle of this lightsaber battle, the moment of just showing a close up of someone's face, you know, what, you know, is going on in their head during it and i i just love that shot of ray which um in that moment anyways we're taking a (laughs) gigantic sidetrack here uh brian i gotta ask you about all the like uh possible plot holes so i gotta ask you wouldn't obi-wan have known that that i mean wouldn't uh vader have known that obi-wan's life wasn't uh canceled out as he's holding up uh as he's in the pit yeah, but I think these these are two people. I think Obi Wan proves by the end of the fight they're two people who aren't actually willing to kill each other. Yeah, yeah, right. Like 
and and I I put this in my piece for Slash Film too that I think part of it is really that that idea that that mythological idea that philosophical idea that Gandalf really drives home the most in Fellowship of the Ring about how pity is what stayed Bilbo's hand and that there are things at work greater than what they can always perceive and it was it was Bilbo's pity that actually is what able enabled them to destroy the ring. You think about Palpatine's destruction. It's very much, you know, Vader tossing the ring into Mount Doom, uh, as it were with Palpatine sort of standing in as the ring. And it was Obi-Wan's pity and mercy here that allows the galaxy to finally be rid of Palpatine. Yeah. Um, I will say that I think I was so much more invested in the lightsaber duel and in, I mean, in the show as a whole, I was more invested in the Vader, um, Obi-Wan stuff than the rest of the show that I kind of wish they weren't intercutting it with uh, Reva going after Luke because I don't know. It just seemed far less interesting, even though both have no stakes because we know. I mean, actually, technically, the Reva stuff has more stakes because we didn't know if Reva was going to survive or die. So I don't know. But anyways, um, at the end of the duel, Vader is left with half his helmet ripped away, which is such a cool shot. Like I can imagine, uh, you know, the concept art that came out of that. I mean, it's, we've seen it kind of before with, uh, was it Vader and Ahsoka? Star Wars Rebels, yeah. uh, Twilight of the Apprentice, which is the second season finale. And I actually went back and rewatched that episode this morning as I was writing up my coverage. And I found it really interesting that um, Obi-Wan scars and cuts open the left side of Anakin's mask and sees him there. And Ahsoka cuts open the right. And so symbolically the two of them are like each half of him Mm. that, uh, that he has to face and overcome in order to continue down his dark path. Um, I thought that was really interesting, but yeah, that is something we've seen, especially with the modulation of the voice in twilight of the, the apprentice, they brought Matt Lanter back to sort of modulate with the James Earl Jones voice. And here they did that with Hayden Christensen and they let, I really loved how much they let Obi-Wan like just fuck up his, his breathing apparatus and his, and so that like, it's so labored and pained. Um, You really feel bad for him in that moment. You, you like, I don't know. He really seems like he's like in a lot of pain. Yeah. 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 Um. And the emotion in Ewan McGregor's uh, eyes, his face, during like that whole like scene where he's uh, giving the apology to Anakin for failing him, it's just like I don't know. Ewan is so good in this show, and I love how he says that you know Anakin is dead. Darth Vader, uh was the one that killed him and basically that, you know, that's what he tells Luke much later on. So that was kind of a cool little thing. Um, Brad, do you have anything to say about the, the ending of this battle? I like that. It, uh, you know, fully addresses the idea of, you know, this is that, you know, a moment when uh, Darth Vader clearly still hasn't reached, you know, a point where he considers himself to be uh, above Obi-Wan. I like Brian's perspective about, you know, Vader maybe not being able to bring himself to truly kill Obi-Wan as a yeah. uh, reasoning for him leaving him alive, because that seems like a big problem Vader has throughout this entire series. Um, but 
yeah, I think that the the idea of Anakin, or rather Vader, taking credit for Anakin's demise, uh, you know, recognizing this like shift in who he is, uh, is is interesting, and not only justifies, you know, Obi Wan's certain point of view that he gives to Luke, um, but it, I feel like it makes it. It also helps Obi Wan because Obi Wan maybe doesn't necessarily feel uh, guilt in letting Anakin down because Anakin, you know, was his his own undoing essentially. Yeah. Um, my my friend Reza pointed this out, but uh, when we see Vader in the original trilogy, we see him out of his mask. He has like this scar on the top of his head. Brian, you mentioned a scar. Is that what you were talking about? When did I mention a scar? Um, oh, I thought when you you said earlier when he, uh, the the helmet and scar, or something like that. Oh, the, the helmet, uh, the scar in the helmet that they cut in with the lightsaber. Oh, okay, um, because I was wondering what you guys think thought. Like, do you do you think that scar that we see old Vader, you know, uh, without the mask, like he has a scar on? Uh, I guess it's what is that the left side of the head? Um, is that caused by this lightsaber battle? Because it seems like it could be, could have been. Uh, it could have been, but I don't recall seeing much of it in the. Oh, you know what? Rogue One, it was just the back of his head. But who could tell? It's just like he's pickled in a jar either way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyways, e- either way, I, I guess it's to your interpretation. But if you interpret it as that's how we got that, it's, it's, it's another cool like little Easter egg. Yeah. And again, another little tie to Return of the Jedi. I think that's this whole fight, this ending of the fight has those ties to Return of the Jedi as well, where um, basically Vader's unmasked and forced to reckon with his past. In Return of the Jedi, he's very repentant. Here he's unrepented, uh, unrepentant, but um, the sounds of his breathing failure are the same too. Like I really loved those, those audio cues that tie them together. Yeah, no, I love that sound, like the sound between what Hayden and uh, Jones and and uh, I don't know. I, I th- this whole sequence was great, and it's just like a, a kind of sad ending to this moment. Uh, Brad, what do you think about Obi Wan? Could have ended it here. Could have ended the entire, you know, the. It could have caused, I, I guess, maybe not ended everything because the emperor would still be around. But he could have taken Vader's life and ended, you know, the the deaths of millions of people around the galaxy. He chose uh, not to. I don't know if it, yeah, like I mean, like you kind of just like said it yourself, though. It's like I'm not sure that it would have. You know, the emperor probably would have would have found himself another apprentice. They have an entire, you know, empire, literally. Uh, at their disposal. So even if Vader dies, yeah. you know, we, we don't even necessarily know how many people Vader himself is responsible for killing, but like the empire itself is, it will always be infinitely more than what Vader has done. So sure. Uh, you know, it might've made some kind of uh, dent or, or impact, but I think that, yeah, I'm not sure that it really changes the trajectory of star Wars overall. Yeah. Okay. So Obi-Wan takes off and he gets back to Tatooine in record time. Uh, and Owen and Brew is are, are doing a really bad job at searching the desert for Luke. They're just like outside the 
the Lars Homestead like yelling, Luke, Luke, Luke. Um, and uh, Ben arrives uh, just as Riva is carrying the unconscious boy f- from the desert and gives uh, Luke to the family. And uh, she tells Obi-Wan that she couldn't do it. Thus, she failed her fallen younglings. And uh, Ben says, by showing mercy, she has honored them. Um, I really, I don't know. I like the idea of Riva's character a lot. I like the idea of like a a villain uh, being created in the whole revenge plot uh, being created out of Order 66 and out of the, the Jedi Order. I just feel like a lot of this, like on the, like in writing an idea is great. But here, I feel like she just turned. She spent like probably the the last at least five, six years of her life, like killing force users and being an inquisitor. I mean, they already have a fifth sister, right? So she was like third in line. So she's been there a while. And I don't know. I just feel like her face turn happened so quickly that it, it didn't seem believable to me. And that might be my problem with the writing, but I, I mean, I, I guess for me it was she was on a mission, and her mission was to hurt Vader, and she realized here at the end that like killing this kid that Vader might not may or may not even be aware of makes her him, <laughs> and that she justifies so many of her actions, and like, well, I'm getting closer to Vader, I'm getting closer to Vader. Um, I really liked it. One of the things I loved, especially about this moment, though, is how it echoes Attack of the Clones. There's so many nods to the prequels in here across the the episode. But this one I, I thought was really powerful. In Attack of the Clones, a Jedi goes out into the desert and takes that revenge and murders all the sand people and comes back with a corpse and drops it there in the sand in the front of the, the Lars homestead. And in this, a dark side user goes out into the desert and does a very Jedi-like thing and shows mercy and brings a live boy and drops him in the sand in in front of the Lars homestead in the same way. And she even echoes some of Anakin's lines there um, from his moment in the garage when he says, like, I killed them all. She kind of refers the same way to the, the younglings in that same tone of voice with that same gravel across her throat. Um it 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 resonated to me i mean i don't know if if you've read um robert mckee's book on character um but it's actually really story? terrific and I'm, no uh he's got three books one story character and dialogue uh, i've um, never read character character it just came out like this year i think but he has a moment in there where he said that like the closer you get to archetype the less depth a character can have because they're representing something and that uh, the closer they are to life, the more, the less representative they are, the more instructive they are. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so because Riva is this, she's this symbol, she's symbolic, she's this archetype and she is purposely this tool to mirror these lessons and these stories for us. The, the individual character turns don't mean as much to me because the point of the story isn't that she's this deep complex character that has believable motives she's a representation of a story we're supposed to internalize as part of that cambellian monomyth 
Yeah. Um, I can never tell if I've lost you. No, no, you have. You haven't lost me. I, I just don't have anything insightful to add to that. <laughs> that that thought. So, uh, it, who you become now is up to you. Uh, he says, and Riva drops her weapon into the sand. Uh, someone needs to take a metal detector around the deserts of Tatooine because there's like so many lightsabers buried in the sands of the of that desert. Could make some. That's good, just where you go. Make some serious money selling lightsabers. Just you know, I think that's a new business. That's my new Tatooine business. Um, uh, what do you think will become of Riva? I guess is my my question. Six seasons in a movie. <laughs> okay, we'll get to that in speculation. Uh, back in Mustafar, Vader threatens to tear down everything in his path until Obi Wan is found, and then we see that the Emperor appears via hologram. And Brian, you you called it. You didn't think he was going to appear, but you did call that like if he did appear, it wouldn't be in flesh and blood; it would be as hologram. And you were right. Yeah, no, I, I have my moments. Not many of them, but I do have them. Um, and I loved how sort of like derisive he was. Like he was just sort of like, hey, man, you got your shit together? Like what's wrong here? <laughs> like it was almost like a funny cameo for Palpatine where it was just like, you got to get like you're overreacting, man. He doesn't matter. What do you think the motivation is here for the Emperor? Because... Do you think he's worried that Vader might still have a connection to Obi-Wan and he'll lose him? Or do you think it's, I don't know, what do you what do you think it is? Or do you think he just wants his focus on like the empire that they're building? I've got, I've got a, a theory. I sort of laid it out in my, in my, my piece for Slash Film. But ultimately, I think the juxtaposition of this, because this cross cuts with Obi-Wan sort of packing up the cave. Um, Obi-Wan packing up his cave and moving elsewhere. And I think caves have a lot of symbolic, um, uh, you know, weight in Star Wars. Luke has his failure with the dark side cave on Dagobah. And very famously, Yoda tells him that like the only thing in the cave is what you bring with you. And Obi-Wan has sort of shed that. But also we have like in philosophy, you've got Plato's allegory of the cave, not to sound too pretentious. I always feel really pretentious bringing up Plato's allegory of the cave. But <laughs> the idea is that Obi-Wan has been able to step out of the cave quite literally and see the reality for what it is. And he's no longer satisfied with the shadows on the walls. And I think cross-cutting that scene of Obi-Wan in the symbology of the cave with Vader on Mustafar. Mustafar is a planet that has the visual, uh, it, it's an entire planet that's essentially a cave for Vader. And Palpatine telling him not to worry about that and, and aiming his focus not on the outside world and not on that enlightenment is him like just kind of rubbing his face in the shadows of the fire you know, on the cave walls and keeping him focused there where he wants him rather than that. And that was really what I got out of that exchange and those moments with Obi-Wan in the cave and like him living in that cave really um, crystallized symbolically for me. And Mustafar, actually, it added a layer of depth that I'm attaching to Mustafar because of that allegory um, that I hadn't had before. Yeah, no, I, I I could see that. I also feel like there's like a aspect of this that like the emperor, the emperor to control 
Vader. There's an aspect of like uh, the more alone he is, the more control he can have over him. And uh, if he has these other missions, then he's, you know, I don't know. But Brad, what what do you think is going on here with Emperor? I mean, I feel like it's more so it's just like establishing like the setup where like where Vader is and where the Empire is. Like, I really don't think there's much to it beyond establishing that you know i I think it's a pretty simple you know just cap to put on everything but what do you what do you think the emperor's motivations and like having him like not go after kenobi anymore he basically without ordering him he basically is like you better drop that kenobi shit i mean as it stands like kenobi wasn't involved in anything that was going on or creating any trouble for them until it came to protecting Leia and they didn't even know that Leia was like a part of what was going on really. So as far as they're concerned, Obi-Wan was around for a little bit and like but now if he's, you know, disappears again then it doesn't really matter. He clearly wasn't causing, you know, any problems for them in the time leading up to this. And so, you know, it, it, if the dark side was able to see how things happened before then, you know, maybe the emperor was able to foresee that Obi-Wan really wasn't going to be a problem for them, at least within the time period, you know, before A New Hope, which is, let's say, what, 12, 12 years away, maybe? Something like that? No, or no, uh, no, like, eight or nine. Yeah, eight or nine. Eight yeah, because it's like 10 years old. So, yeah. That, that reminds me of a really interesting moment in Clone Wars where Obi-Wan and Anakin actually ask to go after Darth Maul in season five, and Palpatine tells him straight up, like, let the rabble deal with that. We've got bigger things to fry. Like we've got bigger things to worry about. Don't even worry about that. It's not a big deal. Yeah. And it's, it's very much a role reversal there of Palpatine in the same situation, but on a different side of it. Okay. Here's the other question with this. Do you think Vader is going to drop it? Or do you think behind the emperor's back, he's going to still be searching for Kenobi? I mean, ultimately I don't think it matters because he doesn't meet him again until a new hope. Yeah. Well, we we don't know that for sure, but no, we don't. But I mean, it's the thing is, uh, I the re- the biggest reason for like not having a full on second season of Obi Wan is that it takes away like the significance of that time that they had apart. And the more often yeah. they meet, the more adventures Obi Wan goes on away from Tatooine, the less significant his isolation becomes, and the less significant their time apart comes, leading up to new a new hope. So, like, if they met again, it'd be just like, what are we doing here, guys? <laughs> Like, I, I, I agree with you, Brad, but I, I, I don't think that means that they're not going to do I, it, is what I'm saying. I think if we get a second season of Obi-Wan, it will actually take place on Tatooine this time, right? Like I, I And I know we've talked about this before, and I know, Brad, you don't necessarily feel as I do, but I think that there's a compelling story that they could tell of Obi-Wan protecting Luke on Tatooine in some way. I, do, I, do, um, I don't disagree that it's possible. I just think you're really starting to push it at that point. Um, but I think if we get a second season of Obi-Wan, it's going to be more like actually a set, a spinoff of Reva rather than an Obi-Wan Kenobi series. I mean, they're, they're already building Tatooine sets for, I mean, well, they already built them for Book of Boba Fett and, you know, for Mandalorian. So may as well just reuse them. <laughs> but, um, okay. Anyways, uh, so... Uh, Vader says Kenobi means nothing to him and he serves the Emperor, only the Emperor. 
And we pull back with Vader on his throne and the Imperial March theme plays and it's badass. There's no reason you can't love this unless you're like, you know, I hate any fan service. Uh, it's just a great moment. Um, but also at the same time, I feel like that pan back in showing like, you know, him on the throne in, in his chamber just shows how alone he is. I thought that was a really interesting contrast as well to in that cave allegory, right? Where like Obi-Wan was alone in that cave and, and now has a better connection with people. And and that pullback really said to me, yeah, Vader's more isolated than he's ever been. And the one thing he wanted was that connection. Yeah. Uh, young Leia puts on an outfit and uh, has Talus holster and her mom approves and they go to meet a visitor on the outdoor landing platform. And it turns out it's Obi-Wan and just like Leia, she runs uh, uh, past Obi-Wan and to her droid and doesn't hug Obi-Wan because that's what Leia does, Brian. If you remember in Force Awakens yeah. when Han dies, she she runs past Chewbacca and hugs um, Ray. So right. yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, am I the only one that's a little miffed or WTF about like she didn't go run to hug Ben when he came out? I think I, I like it's one of those things from earlier too. Like I was saying, like the emotion of Ben telling her about her parents overwhelms any nitpick I might have about that. Like. I forgot about that, to be honest. I watched the episode twice and forgot that, that that she did that because the moment of him like breaking down and saying, here are things about your parents that you embody was so much more powerful yeah. than, than who she hugged first. <laughs> okay, so Obi-Wan helps uh, or offers to help Bale if he ever needs it again. Quote, let's hope that day never comes. And uh, I... Th- are they referencing the beginning of a new hope? I'm guessing that's what the reference is there, right? Yeah, that, that would yeah. be my guess. Unless there's a season two. Um, ben tells Leia about the qualities, uh, how her qualities came from both of her parents. And I feel like this is something that the show really did do well. And the the actress did well. Like I really saw both Anakin and Padme like in her performance and in her character traits. And I, I think that was really well done in this moment, like kind of um, was a it was a great bookend to all that. Um, and uh, they have this touching goodbye as the classic John Williams theme plays. And um, uh, back in his cave, Ben packs all his things, notices the T-16 Skyhopper toy and um You've talked a little bit about this scene, Brian, of him uh, in the cave. Uh, He's moving out, and the cave gave him, like, prime viewing uh, with his binoculars of the Lars homestead, which I think is why he chose to be staying in that cave. Um, Where is he going? Like, is this this more of just the thought of, like, he needs to, like, trust in Owen – like the scene that comes yeah. after this? I think it's part of the lesson that he tries to give Luke, that he needs to learn to let go. This is something that, that Obi-Wan struggled with, not as much as Anakin did, but I mean, Obi-Wan had the Jedi Order and that was his 
that was his North star and that's what guided everything he did. And then all of a sudden, the only thing he had was that one mission with Luke to watch over the boy. And that was it. That was the only thing he had. And he needs to learn to let go of that. Um, and, and let things play out for themselves and let Luke be a boy. Um, and so I think that that was really what that was about was about him giving up that measure of control that he never had anyway, because it was an illusion. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering where he goes next. I mean, obviously we see him how many years later, did you say? Uh, like, like eight or nine years later in his little hovel, um, a ways away. He he does age a lot in that time. I will say that he spends a lot of time in the sun. (laughs) both sons yeah yeah uh what were you gonna say (laughs) i was i was gonna say i think i think that that he might have other interactions with luke based on how luke talks about him um and it kind of adds this the moment with owen saying like you want to meet him almost like makes the line in a new hope where he's like that wizard's just a crazy old man hurt a lot more actually because you know he knows that's not the case. You know that there's some care there, and it's his care for Luke that's forcing him to lie about all of this crap. Do you think this is the only time that he meets Luke until A New Hope? No, I think I think he has other... I think when you look at Luke's lines, um, I think that Ben Kenobi becomes sort of a, a fixture around there that 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 he knows. Because in New Hope, he's like old Ben Kenobi, right? Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, he might be old Ben. Yeah, he's sort of a weird, strange old hermit. He lives out beyond the dune sea. Yeah, no, Luke has lines where he's like, he knows who old Ben is. Yeah. Uh, and he also is wearing Jedi robes for the first time. Again, like the ones we saw in. Uh, and his costume is a little bit like the comics costume with the goggles and everything where he fights uh, black chrysanthemum. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know. It looks totally like that. And, um, uh, okay. I guess let, let's talk about this final moment here. He's riding his Yopi into what looks like it could be beggars Canyon. Uh, and the force ghost of Qui-Gon Jinn finally appears to Obi-Wan after he's been trying to talk to him all this time. And he said he's all he he was always here. He just wasn't ready to see him. Uh, Brad, thoughts on seeing Qui Gon Jinn for the first time in many years? It was something that we expected. Uh, it was cool to see Liam Neeson back in the role as Qui Gon. I was hoping for maybe a little bit more of like wisdom to come from Qui Gon, like some something simple, something you know that offered some kind of guidance or, or resolution for like for, for Obi-Wan. But like it, to me, like I think the, the overall idea of what Qui-Gon is doing here is the, the implication is that Qui-Gon helps Obi-Wan to understand, uh, you know, how to become a force ghost, obviously, because Qui-Gon's seemingly the first one to be able to, to do that. Um, and, it's just, you know, he's not necessarily doing any more training to Obi-Wan, but that's some guidance that he, he can offer. But like, it was almost implied in a way that like, it was something open-ended where he could, you know, ha- have more going on with Obi-Wan that we could see as an audience, not just 
what is assumed by us to happen in the years uh, that follow this this series. So, Brian, yeah. how do you feel about that? Um, I, I felt like his appearance was very much. I mean, like, you're right. Yoda did tell Obi-Wan, like, right at the end of Revenge of the Sith, he learned the path of immortality. I'm going to teach you how to how to commune with him. So it's like that's something that's a path Obi-Wan has been on for a while. Um, but my feeling of this was that, yeah, Obi-Wan's going to study with him. Obi-Wan's going to get a better idea of how things are, because I, I always sort of got the impression after Revenge of the Sith that Qui-Gon was really a conduit that that helped Obi-Wan and Yoda communicate with each other. Right. Like if Qui-Gon could be in both places at the same time or even some other way and be that that conveyor of information. But more than that, I think it really sells home the idea that that Anakin could be the chosen one and Obi-Wan had to let go of that failure. And I think Anakin absolves Obi-Wan of that to the point where Obi-Wan absolves himself of that. And that's the thing that was blocking him from actually tapping into the living force and getting that guidance from Qui-Gon. I feel when I saw Qui-Gon in the scene, like you, Brian, I got, I got emotional because, you know, Qui-Gon was one of my favorite characters from the prequels. And then I, I'm, I'm that idiot that goes into the movie thinking he's going to be part of all three movies. And <laughs> when he dies in the end, uh, you know, as a kid was like devastated. I'm also the idiot that like went into the X-Men animated series uh, thinking Morph was going to be my favorite character. And it was like, why is he in the uh, the intro animation? And then he dies. Um, but uh, where am I going with this? Uh, as much as I like seeing Qui-Gon Jinn here, I kind of have the problem that Brad had where I kind of wish his appearance had some kind of more effect on the story, uh, him giving some kind of wisdom, helps in some way. I don't want him to be the MacGuffin that like got, you know, uh obi-wan out of the trouble or anything but i feel like in this in this instance instead of like him having like a effect on the story he's kind of like the the trophy that obi-wan gets at the end of this hero's journey if that makes sense uh he's i think it it it's definitely played like that but i mean that's exactly how return of the jedi ended too though yeah like you've got Anakin, Obi-Wan and Yoda standing there just like giving Luke that that thumbs up. So we actually got more out of Qui-Gon in this than we did in uh, the rest of the Force Ghosts in, in Return <laughs> of the Jedi as far as the ending goes. Um, but we got. Um, wait, did we have. We did have Obi-Wan having a conversation with Luke yeah. earlier in, yeah, the, yeah, in yeah, the, yeah. the series, but um. I don't know. I mean, like for me, it was satisfying in that I didn't think I think they have a problem with the force ghosts, right? Like, I think that there's definitely story considerations that can be solved by having someone just go to a force ghost and say, what's going on with this? Yeah. Right. Um, it's something I'm reading Adam Christopher's shadows, uh, shadow of the Sith right now. And there's definitely a moment where it's like, why isn't Luke just asking his dad? And he solves that pretty pretty brilliantly in the narrative, but I think that they present problems. So putting Qui-Gon there and able to talk to Obi-Wan before all of this would reveal... I mean, Qui-Gon would just tell him, like, Anakin's alive. 
But now that Obi-Wan's gone through some shit, now he's passed through these tests, he can reach that next level of enlightenment that maybe he wasn't ready for. And it solves that story problem of him. Like it's more satisfying to have Reva reveal that to him than it is to have Qui-Gon just like let him know in some weird like meditation session. Well, also, also because I feel like if that, if that even was a possibility, it raises into question the abilities of a force ghost and how all knowing they are. Like if Qui-Gon hasn't been around as a person, you know, in the universe to know these things, then why and how would he be aware of that as a force ghost? Because I think my biggest problem with force ghosts in general has been, well, if they can communicate with, you know, uh, people like this and they can offer guidance and wisdom, why can't they continue to train, you know, their Padawans train Jedi this way? Like, I feel like there has to be an established limitation as to like what they know, what they can do. And like with, that, that kind of thing with with Qui-Gon though we've actually like he can be all over the place he's very omnipresent and sort of part of the force um, we hear him in Attack of the Clones like Liam Neeson's voice is in Attack of the Clones and Yoda hears him screaming trying to reach out to Anakin um, when he slaughters the Tuscans um, and we see him in Clone Wars sort of unlocking these secrets and sort of having this knowledge and being able to go everywhere. And that Qui-Gon is very much watching over Anakin. And I think his line in this about how, um, his line in this about how I was always here with you and now you're ready to see makes so much sense in context of that. He's been around Anakin the whole time too. And Anakin's definitely not ready to see him and may, and never will until he's one with the force himself. Yeah. I think I just wish that like he appeared to him in like a a moment of I don't know maybe like when he uh, in the Vader moment like when he's in a cover uh, holding up those rocks like uh, in the fighter I don't know what because I don't want him to solve a problem I want Obi Wan to solve the problem but I I just felt I wish he had more of there was more wisdom or something in that mo in that in his appearance and, like and also now I want a a special edition of the special edition of Return of the Jedi where like you see you see Anakin and Yoda and Obi-Wan, but then like over the side, Qui-Gon's like, hey, hey guys, I'm I'm here too. Yeah, no, I I I've I've thought about that for a while. I would like I would love that. I would love Qui-Gon. <laughs> no, 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 Brian, it's a joke. <laughs> no, I, I'm I like I I honestly I'm in the boat where that changing it to Hayden as the ghost is is one of the best changes that Lucas made in in all of the I, I don't disagree with that, days. but I think it doesn't make sense for Qui-Gon to be there because Luke didn't know Qui-Gon. Yeah, it would be, it would be a thing like wait, uh who's who's this? <laughs> yeah. I mean Luke doesn't recognize his dad really one way or the other as a Jedi and with two hands and two feet either. Yeah, but like at least like he had that relationship at the very end <laughs> for those few minutes. Yeah. No, no, it's fine. Um I will say that interestingly uh, Anne McDermott is in the credits for this, but Liam Neeson is not in the credits for the episode, at least as of last night. Yeah, no. And when I watched twice this morning, I looked for Liam Neeson and I thought I missed it, but just they weren't there. I didn't think that was legal from the uh, from SAG. I thought you had to like. No, no I mean, it, it just depends on depends on the contract. I mean, it, it was James Earl Jones wasn't credited in A New Hope either originally. Uh, okay, let's get to speculation. Or wait, is, is there anything else that needs to be said about this episode before we get into speculation? It was good. 
It was very good. Um, okay, let's get into speculation. Uh, I think I asked this earlier. Do, do we really believe that Vader will stop his own quest to find Kenobi? Uh, I, obviously, you, I know, Brad, you're saying that like it makes no sense for him to have any other interaction with Kenobi before a new, ho- no ho- a new hope, and I agree with you. But that doesn't mean that he could continue. He could still be continuing his quest, and we could see that in some storytelling. Do you know what I mean? Like, not find him. Like, do you think he's given it up because Emperor told him to give it up? I guess is my question. I don't know. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, yeah. My my answer still kind of remains the same too. It's like it, it changes nothing to watch Darth Vader try yeah. to track down Obi Wan and like. I guess maybe there's the potential of like an interesting story where Darth Vader has like his own uh, adventure trying to fulfill, you know, his own, his own quest, I guess. But we, you know, it, it would just, it wouldn't make sense if they did meet again. And then what do you do to have a good story if they don't meet again? You know, what's, what's the, what's the reason, you know, why, why do you need to tell yeah. that story? What happens to Darth Vader that's significant for that as a character that demands uh, it needs to be told, you know. I just, I just don't see what purpose there is there. I just feel like devil's advocate. I just feel like you know, with Obi Wan kind of uh, distancing himself from Luke, being willing to let go of watching over him from that cave and stuff like that, it feels to me like the the Sith thing should be the opposite of like, no, I'm not giving it up. I I will still be searching for him, even though he doesn't. Do you know what I mean like I feel like it, it's um? There's such a yin yang to those those two characters. What do you think, Brian? Uh, you know, I think I think Palpatine has really abused Anakin and Vader to the point where, and manipulated him to the point where Vader's a pretty like obedient lapdog yeah right like i think palpatine and i i I don't uh even hesitate to say that it's abuse and manipulation and isolating him as a tactic to to just keep him focused on what he wants and anakin believes in palpatine anakin believes that he's making the galaxy a better place even though the empire's there and he's doing evil things the Anakin of the Clone Wars is justifying that with saying, like, I'm doing these dirty deeds so that he can make the galaxy a better place for everybody else. And if that man who's making the galaxy a better place for everybody else is saying, like, forget about that. That's not important. We've got bigger things to do. I think this Vader is going to listen to him. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, OK. Uh, do we um, do you think that we'll get a second season? I don't think that there are any plans for a second season. I think if there were any plan in place, it would be having certain characters from the show continue into other parts of the Star Wars galaxy. I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you see you could see a character like Roken appear in in Andor uh, if they wanted to pick up Reva's story and do a spinoff series or something like that. But I think that the only way we get an Obi Wan season two is if they have a good idea to do it. And, you know, I actually just today, um, Variety put out a story or, uh, well, actually it was Entertainment Tonight, I think, that did. uh, They talked to Kathleen Kennedy and asked them about the possibility of season two. And she said, 
Uh, well, frankly, we did set out to do that as a limited series, but I think if there's huge engagement and people really want more Obi-Wan, we'll certainly give that consideration because the fans, they speak to us. And if we feel like, okay, there's a real reason to do this, it's answering the why, uh, then we'll do it, but we'll see. So, you know, a, a non-answer basically like, you know, maybe we can, there's, it's not a no, it's not a yes. And, you know, but also Ewan said that same thing. Well, and I, Hayden. Yeah, they pretty much all did. They pretty much said that, like that we we saw this as a standalone story and never intended to do more. But they're all open to to coming back if the opportunity presents itself. So, if someone has a good idea, sure. But like, it really just feels like they intended this to be a one off, and there's there was nothing here that was intended to set up like a full on second season of Obi Wan. Yeah. So you know there is a way they could do it. Um, in the comics, they've used this really great framing device where Luke is kind of going through Ben's journals and Ben is talking about things and they've already shown that Hayden and, and Ewan are still young and spry enough to be their attack of the clones and revenge of the Sith selves, that maybe there are more clone wars tales that they could tell with them as actors for Obi-Wan's second season framed around this current timeline where Obi-Wan is looking back on those things. Hmm. And then it wouldn't it wouldn't destroy any of that. Like, oh, there's no reason to tell a second st- season of Kenobi. It's just another Obi Wan Kenobi story with you and McGregor back that doesn't affect those stakes in the future. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, I, I would be down for that. I'm not sure if you if, if you could actually have that much of them as younger because well, like, I'm not sure I, they look that great younger. But yeah, I'm sure. I, well, they can do more deep fake. I'm but. sure that's that's super expensive to do it that that much though because like. Luke's used pretty sparingly in the Mandalorian and book of Boba Fett. And, but to have two lead characters that need to be de-aged for pretty much the entire series, that's expensive stuff. Do you think this is going to be the last time that we see Ewan playing Obi-Wan? I don't think so. I think he's had such a great time. It, it just yeah. looks like he's having a good time on and off screen. Yeah, I think we'll see if him they again. come up with a compelling reason for it, he'll come back. Uh, I will say this, making Star Wars, I think like three, four or five year, weeks ago, uh, did a report that said that they are actively exploring the idea of a Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, sequel series. And at the time, that report basically ran what was the ending of the show, what happens with Reva and how she's kind of let go. She has the information. She hands off Luke. Um, and, uh, the claim from that site was that the original ending of the show had her die. She died in the original end of that show and that they actually went back and reshot so that she does not die. I'm not, they didn't explain how she died or who killed her or whatever, but, uh, that's where like these sequel, these Obi-Wan Kenobi's uh, season two, like all this buzz has come off this one report which seems to have some reliability to it because it had the information on how this season ends i i I read that report and like after i saw this finale in my mind i was like okay but hypothetically let's say they did go with the original thing where reva did die then like what happens in the finale yeah i don't i don't there's nothing there's nothing like all of the thematic elements of her living at the end tie up too neatly and correctly for what they set up yeah i don't know i don't know how she would have died it wouldn't have made much sense i will say this though i i think the most 
probable, the most likely, if they make a sequel series, I feel like it's going to be not Obi-Wan Kenobi. I feel like it's going to be Reva or it's going to be the Inquisitors or it's going to be Darth Vader. It's it's going to be, you know, something that goes off of this and has some of these characters, you know, could have Roken, could have. Uh, it could be about the path. It could be about Quinlan Vos. Yeah, I think there's going to be something there. But I don't know if it's going to be Obi Wan Kenobi. Do you, do you think? Uh, how, when do you think we're going to see the path next? Or are, the Quinlan Voss show? Quinlan I don't, Voss I, show. <laughs> or the 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 Star Wars Jedi video game sequel? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Jedi Survivor could be a very uh, likely spot for that. Yeah, I, I joke that they're going to have a show called Star Wars: Path of the Jedi. But apparently Path of the Jedi was the the title of a short film that ran in Tomorrowland in uh, anticipation of Star Wars Force Awakens. So there's already that. Anyways, um, uh, Roken. I guess Roken is the only other person, I guess, that we that the we could talk about. Like, do you think we're going to see him in Andor? Haja, too. Oh, Haja, too, I guess. Yeah. They could, they could join up with the Rebellion. I think Roken and Haja. I think there's definitely... The way they built the Rebel Alliance infrastructure with Rebels about how they're all very discrete cells um, that don't really know about each other. And they're sort of like they they don't get brought in together until A New Hope, really, or in the moments before then in Scarif. Um, makes a lot of sense that you could have Roken and his little cell over here that have adventures just as imaginative, imaginative as the Ghost Crew and, and Phoenix Squadron uh, with with Admiral Sato and and that group uh elsewhere right like i think that they they did themselves some favors in dividing and compartmentalizing all those different cells that that we could see a lot of that cool stuff with characters like roken and haja and of course i think we're going to see hayden in the ahsoka show i think we're going to see a lot more darth vader in the coming years some way or another Um, well he's yeah no i mean like he's announced for ahsoka right i is he? I'm not sure if it was official. I, I know it was rumored, um, but I I had heard a long time ago, even before he was announced for Obi Wan, that he was coming. He was going to be part of Ahsoka. So I I think it's it's probably a thing. It makes too yeah. much sense, and uh, I it think was, we're going to see yeah, more. It was reported by Hollywood Reporter that that uh, Hayden would be in Ahsoka. So I don't okay. think I don't think Lucasfilm has announced it, but yeah, it's been yeah. it's been reported by the major trades. I feel like they intimated that at Celebration, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think we'll see the Inquisitors, more of the Inquisitors at some point. Absolutely. Yeah. I think they'll probably figure in Jedi Survivor, too. Uh, any any last thoughts and speculation before we, we end this thing? Seems like I, not. I think we've talked ourselves out. Yes. Uh, well, thank you guys for joining me. Uh, Brian, where can we find more of your work online? Uh, you can find my writing about Star Wars at Slash Film uh, as often as they'll have me write stuff about Star Wars. You can listen to me talk about Star Wars uh, on my podcast, Full of Sith. And uh, you can find me at, on Twitter and online at Swankmotron. So find me there. It's always a pleasure to have you on here. Uh, you can find more of me and Brad at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. If you enjoyed this series of podcasts any of the any of the podcasts we do on slash film daily please hunt, head over to our apple podcast page and leave us a five-star review that helps us quite a bit uh please uh 
what was I going to say? Uh, send your feedback, question, comments, concerns to us at peter at slash uh, We'll see you tomorrow. Have a good one. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.